0: So, in fact, don't leave that here, Harry. Thank you. I do need that. Actually, I don't need it entirely. (laughs) Don't need that entirely, but I do think it looks good. I've grown used to it. And actually, I found it doesn't so much help the foot that's broken as the foot that bears the weight that's not the broken one. So, I don't use it all the time. And actually, it may be a week and a half when I'm back finally to two shoes. Uh, May, may maybe, maybe. Two Sundays from now, I'm up with here, this thing again, we're all going to feel very disappointed. So, you know, it's all right. And actually, I have to tell you, it's not been all that bad. It really has not been. I've had to relearn some things through this injury and because of this injury. One of the things I've had to relearn that actually I have really enjoyed is driving. I have not been able to use this foot back and forth. It's actually dangerous. It gets caught. So what I do is gas, right foot, brake. Left foot. I've always driven an automatic. Perhaps it would have been easier to relearn this if I had driven a stick, but I don't. Right, gas, left, brake. In fact, it has taught me what it is to drive mindfully, how it is to slow down and be calm because behind the wheel, I know that is my least Zen place. (laughs) you ever been to the car with me? You're probably aware of that too. It is easy for any of us to drive mindlessly, in fact, to become so frustrated by other people's actions behind the wheel. Not our own, never our own, right? It's always that other guy or girl who doesn't know what they're doing. So easy to get frustrated behind the wheel. I think, as in so many other things in life, it's Homer Simpson who really captured the zeitgeist of driving in our moments. He said once when he was able to finagle disability and stay home and not drive, and he was laughing at the suckers who he said did this gas brake honk, gas brake honk, honk honk punch, gas gas gas. It's so easy to become frustrated behind the wheel. And so, literally and metaphorically, I've actually found that I have been able to not take my foot off the gas, but to ease on the gas, and off of it. I have found that actually with this injury and relearning how to drive mindfully that I have had the wonderful blessing to slow down. That's what this whole message series that I start today is about. It comes out of some observations I've made in this past year, one that I have seen in so many of your lives and in my own, but especially in your stories. I have seen demonstrated proof of what we hear over and over again if we follow the news, that productivity is rising But the unemployment rate does not seem to be going down. There are people who are doing more and more and more. Many of you, I hear your stories, and I get this sense that especially combined with technology, with this all-access promise of being able to be reached 24-7, even if we don't want to be, that we are living in a world that is so sped up, a world that has become literally on-demand like that button if you have it on your cable remote. And so for this New Year's, I have no desire and I'm not going to do an efficiency message series, one of those kind of message series that tells you how to do exactly the 101 things that you want to do and need to do and have to do and get it done and look beautiful doing it and have all the style in the world that you need to have while you're doing it. I'm not going to do one of those kinds of message series. There's enough of those kinds of books already, and actually the best one, if you're looking for one of these in the new year, there's a great book called Don't Answer Your Email First Thing in the Morning. If you know that one and looking to make yourself more calm, read that one. That's what I recommend to you. Go there. So this message series is not about what to do. It's more about what to be, with the hope for all of us that as we grow together, we may in fact find that through what we are doing, we are becoming More who we want to be. My hope is that through this message series, all of us will become more focused in such a way that, in fact, we might actually find ourselves doing less or more slowly. We might actually find ourselves pulling back just a little bit from that gas pedal that sometimes feels all the time to be depressed down to the floor. And we might want to, in that easing up space of slowing down, become the people who we want to be. So in this first series of the New Year, I'm not really going to focus on resolutions. I have nothing against resolutions. In fact, I am married today because of a New Year's resolution. Almost seven years ago, I think it was this very day, January 2nd, I had flown... You'll learn this now. um, (laughs) She knows already. I had flown back from actually visiting my best friend who at that time was living in Center City, and my first marriage, my first unsuccessful marriage had ended almost exactly a year before to the day, and I said, okay, I'm finally going to get serious about that dating site, this one dating website where I knew I could sort of find people who I thought had some commonalities and similar similar to myself, and two days later, I clicked on a little face that looked kind of amusing to me. It was, you know, called Rabbit Ears was the name, and actually, a day before, she had clicked on mine, and a little heart popped up, said, ooh, crush, 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 Give fate a try seven years later we 're now married so i 'm a fan of resolutions i am i 'm a fan of new year 's resolutions. It turned out one turned out really well in my life, but however, I think there's something even more important than our new year 's resolutions, which is the quality of our essential relationships, whether it 's to ourself whether it 's to other people whether it 's ultimately i think and Because we're in a spiritual community, this is what I'm going to focus on, the nature of our spiritual selves. I think that slowing down to take the time to honor our most essential relationships, what we really need to live, not just the moment-to-moment, ooh, I want it, got to have it, but the kind of focus that comes from the things that we really need to live our lives with depth and purpose. When we can be in right relationships with these essential relationships, then actually the resolutions become a lot easier. It becomes a lot easier to be in that right frame of mind to make the kinds of changes that we yearn to make in our lives. One of the things that I've seen over and over and over again at this time of year is that resolutions made without relationships in time equal resentment broken promises to ourselves for the changes that we would wish. I mean, study after study confirms this, whether it's a new exercise regimen or whether it is recovery from alcoholism or whether it is wanting to learn a new instrument. Study after study after study confirms this. If you want to try something new and change in a deep way, one of the primary indicators of your success will be how many other people are gathered with you in that same Enterprise. Resolutions without relationships equaling resentment is kind of like deciding you're going to jump out of a plane. You've booked your ticket. You're going to embark on this thrilling thing. And then about halfway through, down through the flight, you're like, oh, damn, I forgot to check my parachute. Shoot. Talk about an ultimate resentment, especially when you go splat on the ground. Because if we're not in touch with the primary stuff, the things that we really bring with us, the essential stuff, the soul of our lives, if we're not in touch with that stuff, we will not be able to change. We will exhaust ourselves. We will deplete our fuel, the kind of fuel that we really need to make long-lasting and sustainable changes in our life. This is so much related to the speed and the pace of our lives that so many of us struggle with and sometimes even suffer from. We may think that we are getting ahead of our lives by being as fast as we can be, but it's a reverse law. The faster we go, life is always one step ahead and we will never be able to catch up. The great news of learning to slow down. The wonderful and best news is that it gives us the opportunity and the time to be truly responsive to our lives, to face what is there, and to know ourselves. And so first, before any resolutions, relationships. And first, on this morning, this second day of the new year, I want to focus on the most essential relationship that there is, the first relationship we will ever have when we enter this life, the most necessary relationship with the breath, the one relationship that is with us our entire lives. Focusing on the breath first and foremost is putting first things first and equipping ourselves to enter that wonderful place that so many spiritual traditions talk about as beginner's mind. Having the openness and capacity to see the world, experience the world, know ourselves and the world freshly, not just by rote, but by engagement. And deep love. But there's a step before beginner's mind. Beginner's mind does not come first. Before beginner's mind is beginner's breath. First the willingness to let life in. And then let life go. Take it in. And then let it out once again. The Dalai Lama said absolutely correctly that a change of heart is always a change of mind. Think about that. Physiologically and spiritually, he is exactly right. A change of heart is a change of mind. When we slow down and give ourselves the opportunity to recognize the breath, we are stopping that thump, 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 thump thump that goes inside of each of our chests when we're not giving ourselves enough breath that we need spiritually, physiologically, we're giving ourselves the chance when we really recognize and welcome and share the breath to slow down, to catch up to who we are, to catch up to our lives. And so before beginner's mind can arrive, we need beginner's heart and we need beginner's breath to recognize that what feels so obvious, this breath, well, duh, we're doing it right now, aren't we? In fact, is not obvious at all. There was a story that a number of you posted on your Facebook pages throughout December that was done on NPR about the quality and the depth of what our breathing can do with us and for us and in our lives. There was a woman they quoted, a researcher, a physician. She works at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, and she studies breath work. Her name is Esther Sternberg, and she says that, That rapid breathing, that's one part of our responsive nervous system, that nervous reaction. It is all about fight or flight, that stressful breathing, that breathing that barely seems to make it down to here before we expel it right back out. It is the part of the response that is activated by stress, by not feeling we will get enough. She said, in contrast, that deep, slow breathing That stimulates the opposite response in our nervous system. The one that can calm us down. She says that stress reaction is like driving down the highway at 120 miles an hour. With our foot depressing that pedal all the way down. That is the stress reaction when we do not notice it in and with our breath. And when we can learn to take the pedal back And slow down. That is engaging the break. And that is what the breath can do for us. Think about it. The one constant throughout all of our lives, the beginning and the end, the start and the finish, the alpha and the omega, and everything in between, it is the breath. It is always here with us. And because perhaps then it is so easy to overlook. It is why we use the words every single week here at Wellsprings from Thich Han. One conscious step, one conscious breath. And I have to tell you, in the first few months after we launched worship here at Wellsprings, after about three or four months, uh, some people came up to me and said, Well, when are we going to move on? When are we going to have a different meditation? And after a while, I got a little bit snarky, and I started answering that question because I was not going to change it at all. Once you have mastered and once we have all mastered here together, truly mindful living and knowing exactly what heaven on earth is like, then we're all ready for a new meditation. What I really thought about, i got to be honest with you, and it would have been kind of a hostile thing to say, but it's one of my favorite teaching stories about the breath, is about a meditation master who has been engaging people in the contemplative practice for decades. And at one point, they find that they have a really young, arrogant student who thinks they absolutely know it all. And I'm not saying the people who asked me these questions were arrogant. They were just asking the question about novelty. But I really thought of this story. This young, arrogant student says, breathing, come on. It's obvious. I want the deep stuff. I want the stuff that's going to transform my life. I want that stuff that's going to get inside my brain and rework who I am. And the meditation master takes the young student out and leads them next to a pool of beautiful still water. And they put their arm around the young student. And they sort of grab them caressingly by the neck and they dunk their head underwater. Flailing, can't breathe. Legs and arms flying all over the place. Finally, the meditation master lets the student up. Is breathing obvious now, they ask? It is not. And I have to tell you, the fact that we practice this meditation every single week, I have seen the transformation. I have to tell you, after the first three or four months, people were saying, when can our kids leave? We want them gone before the meditation starts so we can be peaceful. But peacefulness is not about removing the impediments. It is about learning to be still and present with all that is there. And now, almost four years later, it is remarkable to hear nothing. Hear how we fall together all ages into that place of peace together week after week after week. And I, do, I believe there is something countercultural about us taking that time with those simple words, conscious step and conscious breath and cultivating heaven on earth. Sometimes we try to squeeze so much out of our lives and simultaneously try to cram so much back into them. And every week we give ourselves simply permission here with those simple words of meditation to take the in slowly and return it to whence it came and to just keep doing that. The ancients knew this really, really well. Any of you know this word? It's Hebrew. Those letters are a little bit of my Bar Mitzvah training has stayed with me a little bit. yud Hey vav Hey. You actually might know it as this word, Yahweh, also known as Jehovah. That's actually not a literal translation. Go back to that Hebrew, if you would. This word, by the way, ancient Hebrew has no vowels. And so there are different pronunciations and different meanings very often to these words. And in fact, traditionally... In Judaism, this word is not to be spoken. There's a few different reasons for this. The first one is actually kind of authoritarian, and I think of these guys when I think of the reasons. I think of Wayne and Garth, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. You know, whenever they see Aerosmith or ACDC or whatever that band is that, that they love, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we are not capable to be in the sight of you that's a kind of authoritarian tradition in judaism that actually was one of the reasons i left that this idea that we can't say the name of god because somehow we're not worthy there are versions of this in so many traditions where it's the holy of holies or the central temple only the chosen or the elect can find their way into it so i really don't like that idea so much of not being able to say this word because we're not worthy the second reason comes a little closer I think this is where the ancient Israelites were actually pretty psychologically acute and insightful. They knew that we as human beings love to make idols out of everything. So they said this word, you know what, don't just make it into a name, just a regular old name. Because if you do, you'll turn it into a thing and that's not really what we're talking about here. But really that gets to the third and deepest reason for why this name was not to be pronounced. Because it's not a name at all in the first place. One of the ancient traditions of Yahweh or of this word is this. The idea that that's what Yahweh sounded like. That's what that name was supposed to symbolize. That before any name, before any text, before any doctrine, there was simply the breath. That in fact, this is not a name at all. It is a way of being in the world. Divinity in this account, and I love this, is not something we say. It's not even something that we believe. It's something that we take in and are fed by and share back. The world from which it came. See, this is where I love this piece of our DNA where we talk about that we can experience God without being able to define God. That's not a cop out. That's not a liberal religious way of saying, well, there are so many different ways to define it that we're not going to try and define it, so just do whatever you want with it. Part of it is that. Part of it is that this world will never be finished. But part of saying we can experience God without being able to define it is in keeping with what the ancients taught. That it isn't a word in the first place. It is a way of being present. The ancients knew this. There's a tradition in the Hindu religions, in the Hindu traditions, of what is called pranayama. It is sometimes translated as control the life force, or working with the breath. And so what I'd like to have us do right here, right now, is to be led in some ways of pranayama, of working with the breath, of not saying that we believe, but practicing who we can be at our deepest. Robin.
1: seated position, but come to a comfortable place. Maybe unfold your legs and bring your feet flat to the floor. Close your eyes and allow your attention to dive inward. And I invite you to keep your eyes closed during this entire segment for a more personal experience. Become aware of your connection to the seat. And engage your abdominal muscles slightly. Drop your chin slightly. And lengthen up the spine toward the crown of your head. Take a slow breath in as you roll your shoulders up toward your ears. Roll your shoulders back and down as you exhale. Keep the spine long. For the next few minutes, we'll be working with and exploring our breath. Pranayama. The practice of moving and cultivating and expanding life force through our breath. As we begin with a breath, this one will help you when you're stressed out, anchor you in the present moment, and assist with integration of your mind and body. We'll do a slow, deep, three-part breath. As we move through this exercise, I want you to honor yourself, and if the breathing cues are uncomfortable for you, please... Relax to your own breath patterns. Place your hands on your belly. Lightly. Feel the abdomen abdomen expand as you inhale through your nose slowly. Exhale through your mouth with your lips. Press like you were about to whistle. Make the exhalation at least twice as long as the inhalation. Inhale. Feel the belly expand. Exhale, through the mouth, drawing the navel in towards the spine, squeezing out the last drop of air. Inhale, belly fills, lungs fill. Feel the ribs expand to make room for the fullness of the breath. Exhale, and slow and steady to empty. Feel the length of your long spine. Inhale. Inhale. Allow the fullness to rise up to the chest, swirling around your heart center. Relax your shoulders back as the wave continues to rise up to your collarbone. Exhale, and let the breath that empties take along any tension you may have in your chest, shoulders, ribs, or belly. Continue with the next two rounds on your own, using your own awareness to inform you of the depth of your inhales and your exhales. When you are finished with your two rounds, keep your eyes closed and just notice what is true for you in this moment. What are you feeling physically, emotionally? perhaps even spiritually. Allow your eyes to open very softly as you start to take your focus more externally. This pranayama can be practiced anywhere, driving in the car, standing at the bank, standing in the grocery line, before you go to sleep. Or, of course, before you start your asana, your yoga postures. If you notice that you were yawning, that's normal because you're now starting to move energy through your body. Thank you.
0: As last year turned into this one, one of the things that I have noticed is that I've been preaching more and more about how we can take ordinary things for granted and about how ordinary things are not at all obvious if we bring a deeper consciousness to them. This message series is about the most basic stuff and bringing our full selves to it. If we do that, we will see that the ordinary is not obvious. And in fact, so much of what we need in this life in mystery and miracle and meaning is here with us. It starts in the breath. In a couple weeks' time, we're going to offer you once a week on Monday nights in the office a contemplative space. If you want to come in and together, do nothing but and the everything that is involved in being in silence and in breath together. The ordinary is not obvious if we bring our full selves to it. Robin, would you come back up? Help breathe us into prayer.
1: So we're going to continue with the same slow, deep breath that we just did. We've already experienced it. Only this time we're going to go to a deeper connection and a deeper exploration using Something called breath retention or a hold. This will assist with focus and concentration, clarity of mind, calming. Please do not hold any longer than you're comfortable. Honor yourself first. So come back to that seated position of mindfulness with the feet flat on the floor. Close your eyes again. Bring your hands to your belly. And begin again. With a slow, deep inhale. When you exhale, exhale more than you have all day. A complete exhale allows for a more complete inhale. As you inhale, notice the quality of the incoming breath, the temperature, the moisture, the sensation that you feel as it passes through your nostrils. As you exhale, let go of worries, plans, Stories, allow each passing breath to pull your awareness into the present moment. As you inhale, draw positive qualities in compassion, joy, vitality. As you exhale, release negative attitudes, fear, judgment, self doubt. On your next Inhale, fill your lungs just about three-quarters of the way and gently hold the breath in. Bring your attention to the point between your eyebrows and watch what happens to the mind when you bring the breath to stillness. When the need arises and you are ready, slowly and softly allow a light sigh As you empty and exhale completely, pull the navel into the spine and hold the emptiness, feeling the length of your spine reaching up to the crown of your head. And when the need arises and you are ready, just gently relax and allow your breath to move naturally, keeping your eyes closed and notice what you may see or experience in your mind's eye. Be aware of any sensations that are present in your body. What is true for you in this present moment? Notice the feeling of prana, life force in your body. Take a moment and embrace gratitude for the gift of life as it manifests in each and every breath.
0: May our prayer be in this breath. And may this breath be in our prayer. Amen. And may you live in blessing.